Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Bigger Picture. Going behind the headlines of the biggest economic and political stories of the day. That sting tells us it's time for The Bigger Picture, where I'm delighted to say I, I'm going to be talking now to Tim Evans, Professor of Business and Political Economy at Middlesex University in London. Um, Tim, we are recording this um, shortly after the Chancellor sat down after delivering his autumn statement. I say the Chancellor, the latest Chancellor, Jeremy Hunt. Um, so um, what do we take from um, his, uh, his autumn statement? So this is, in a nutshell, uh, an excessively high uh, tax um, um, statement. Um, it is piling taxes on to an already uh, ludicrously high tax level. Um, uh, I think that the Prime Minister Rishi Sunak and Jeremy Hunt probably went into this statement thinking that they were being very clever, uh, that they were sort of triangulating and that they were putting their tanks on the traditional Labour Party lawn. I think that this budget will be extremely badly received by a lot of Conservative supporters, um, of voters. Uh, I think it has no positive or upbeat vision. Uh, I think it runs the risk of creating a self-fulfilling prophecy of doom. I do not believe it will be welcomed by business, um, the Institute of Directors, CBI, um, uh, many others, uh, the Federation of Small Businesses. I do not think it will be well received. And I think it will actually make an already very difficult situation worse. I think the Labour Party will um, not feel that there are tanks on its lawn. I think the Labour Party uh, will start to outmaneuver the Conservatives. I think the Labour Party will sell themselves as the party of moderation, of modernisation, um, and of being friendlier to business than the Conservatives are now turning out to be. Um, and I think you'll quite swiftly see uh, a rebirth. I think you're already starting to see uh, a rebirth of the political atmospherics of the mid to late 90s, whereby the Tories ran out of steam, they ran out of ideas, they ran out of favour, and their blunders made Labour start to look attractive. And I think Labour um, will start to call for not necessarily vast new sums of money for public sector services, but for more modernisation greater reform. They were, Labour are now going to be very well placed to say that actually taxes are probably going too far, that the Conservatives aren't friendly enough to wealth creation and business. Um, and to be blunt with you, uh, they will have a point. I, I suspect this budget uh, it 
will lead to a, a situation where, quite frankly, after the next election, the Conservatives will be lucky to have 100 or 150 members of Parliament. Well, that's all fairly um, sort of doom-laden, um, Tim. What do you think they were hoping to achieve? I mean, the OBR um, actually says we're already in recession. The natural thing for um, a, a Chancellor when you know your economy is going into recession is not to pile on taxes. Well, the first thing is... Uh... As has been pointed out by numerous commentators recently, the record of the office uh, of, uh, I mean, uh, you know, the OBR record is parlous. Um, they get most of their predictions not only wrong, but often they're miles out. Um, and I mean, I have to say, this all go, also goes for the Bank of England. And one of the saddest consequences, I think, is that many traders and people in the markets kowtow and show inordinate respect to the OBR. Um, when, quite frankly, they shouldn't. By their record, I mean, the OBR, if the OBR say something, then the laws of probability would suggest that's exactly the thing that is not going to happen. Mm. I mean, you know, if, if the OBR and the Bank of England said that the sun is going to rise tomorrow morning, morning at 6.15, well, start to assume that it's not, because their predictive capability is so wrong. We saw this recently when... The Bank of England acted uh, with interest rates on the assumption that the economy was shrinking. Then the data was refreshed, and in fact, the economy had grown by two point yes. percent. Um, but we're living in a period where the markets are beguiled by the OBR. They're beguiled by the statistics and the predictions of the so-called experts, and it's that that influences the markets, not. Um, actual reality and so the government have also become beguiled and um, there is a real danger here that the more you get tied to the bank of england and obr predictions and the more the government think they're putting their tanks on center left lawns the higher taxes go and exactly as you said the higher taxes go that dampens confidence it rains in people's expenditure and you end up in a vortex of doom and the irony to me of the statement today was that Jeremy Hunt at one point said, we don't want to create a vortex of doom. And I thought, well, you're halfway through a speech where you've set yourself up exactly for yes. that. Of course, having to correct uh, you know, many of the spending um, uh, commitments that were um, created by the man who is now PM. In, indeed. But you know, the Conservatives uh, are are, of course, partly to blame. We saw Liz Truss's crass uh, um, uh, attempts to um, to push through radical Thatch-right reforms um, in, in very short order. You do get moments where you see free marketeers, quite frankly, who don't always understand the way markets operate, and they came proper with the gilts market. Um, because they didn't understand the micropolitics of Thatcherism, now you do things gently over time, binding people in from different interest groups over time with your project. No, they went crash, bang, wallop, um, and they got blowback. And that, alongside the fallout from COVID, that alongside um, the external shocks that have been provided by uh, Putin's war on Ukraine, you know, this has created this vortex. Um, but... Boy, um, do I do I doubt 
if the Chancellor's statement today is it going to have any positive or uplifting effects on Britain's economy. The danger is that the recession will now be deeper, it will be longer um, than expected, and Britain will lag behind competitors. This is not about taking advantage of Brexit and of a global Britain. This is about increasing the state without any real plan to improve the public services. There is no modernization plan, um, as Tony Blair would put it, and uh, he would be right. All um, very depressing. As depressing as this week when um, people were quoting the um, inflation um, figure of 11.1%. And you know, those old hands who always reckoned that inflation was better judged by the RPI, 14.2%. This week, another way. You know, the Conservatives uh, pretend to be the party of sound money. Yeah, think of what inflation is doing under, you know, just in this parliament. Yeah. They are predicting that, that, that you know, inflation is going to peak at 9 or 10% within the 12 months. They think next year inflation will be 78 7.9%. Let's call it 8%. We, I think, on RPI terms are faced with a Conservative government that in one parliament will have probably, and I'm going to use a very old-fashioned phrase, debased the coinage by more than a quarter. Yeah, That's in one five-year parliament. Now, I know it's not all their fault. You know, there's, there's um, as I said, there's COVID, there are, you know, there's the war in Ukraine, all kinds of headroom, uh, headwinds. But surely given that it's the brief of the Bank of England, it's their one primary job is to price money correctly to, you know, to maintain value, to have what I think will end up being in excess of a 25% inflation rate in, you know, within the life of a parliament, a debasing of the coinage, as I put it, that means that, 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 that the Bank of England um, is failing in its mission as well, yes. and therefore I place them very yeah. firmly along the side of the OBR. The OBR. No, it wasn't. It wasn't that long since they were saying inflation was transitory. They were just going to look through it. It well, indeed really isn't that many months ago at all. I remember last Christmas, all their predictions were the inflation would peak and it would be over by April. Then the war hit, and it was going to peak by September, October. Now they tell we discover uh, in recent times that inflation will go up to eight, another eight percent. Over the course of the year ahead, yeah. um, so this is ludicrous, I'm afraid, and I suspect you're in the dying days of of a conservative government. And this will go down in history, rather like the conservative administration of the of 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 the 1950s and early 60s. You know, which was what what 12 or 13 years of Tory misrule. I think this government will go down, um, uh, and 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 the history books will call this the second great period of Tory misrule. Yeah. Well, that's all rather um, <laughs> depressing, um, Tim. But, you know, Conservatives um, failing in their mission will, as you say, just enable Labour to make hay. It'll be intriguing to see the political triangulation. Uh, time for us, though, to, to take a brief break. We will change topic.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Sharing ideas about money. This is Share Radio. This is Simon Rose in conversation for The Bigger Picture with Professor Tim Evans of Middlesex University. Tim, what's our second topic? Well, the second topic is that the NHS is now in uncharted waters. Um, um, As has become clear today, the Conservatives have no real plan. They've been in power, you know, for 12 years, but have no real plan uh, to reform the NHS. And we know that because what one of the things that Jeremy Hunt said today was that he would like to work with Patricia Hewitt, the former Labour Secretary of State for Health. She was Secretary of State mm. for Health um, under... Um, but Tony Blair and I, and I believe for a period Gordon Brown. I may be wrong on that. Um, but the Tories are looking to her to do to lead an inquiry into how the NHS may be reformed in the future. Now, no doubt this inquiry might take a year or two or three or four. I don't know. But the Conservatives have been in power for all these years and they have vastly increased the NHS budget. Um, you know, uh, it's it's in, in England. It's 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 over one hundred and fifty billion pounds. Um, and in fact, what they've done is um, it, it, the expenditure on the on the NHS this year is twelve percent higher than it was in twenty nineteen twenty. Okay, mm. and there are thirteen percent more doctors. Uh, there are ten percent more consultants. There are 11% more nurses. There are roughly 10% more clinical support staff, okay? So a lot more money has been invested, and there are indeed a few more staff. Yet, we now know from the most recent data that the NHS has treated 5% fewer people on waiting lists in the first nine months of this year for things like hip replacements, cataracts, accessing MRI scans, than it did during the same period in 2019. So we're spending more money. There are more people in the service. They're starting to come through. Mm. Yet the service is in decline. Well, you know, this is just, I'm afraid, another reason why um, the Labour Party, quite rightly, uh, are pivoting wisely and very heavily onto new Labour terrain, and why the Shadow Secretary of State um, for Health, uh, Wes Streeting, has said, and this has been reported many places, it's also being reported um, in The Spectator, quoting Wes Streeting, we need the private sector to help reform the NHS. And, you know, not only uh, as the Labour Party not going to necessarily undermine private medical insurance or or Britain's private independent health and social care sector, but they actually want to work alongside uh, the private sector and use the private sector 
to dramatically uh, decrease this vast backlog now of more yeah. than 7 million people. So Jeremy Hunt could actually have come up with suggestions for making private health more tax efficient for people, which would reduce pressure on the NHS. But he said nothing, presumably, about that. Well, I think, I, 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 I'm reminded of uh, Mark Lahr, who was the politician, and we've mentioned this before in Estonia, who was prime minister in Estonia twice, and he put through some difficult reforms in a whole range of areas in Estonia. And uh, on one occasion, he didn't look as if he was doing particularly well in the opinion polls. And a TV uh, interviewer said, what's going to happen? You know, when you're pushing all through your reforms. You're not popular. You're going to lose the next election. And what Mark Law Mark said, he said, well, I'm prime minister here to do the right thing, not necessarily to win the next election. And of course, he won the following election. The Conservatives are so busy now in trying to chase um, the opinion poll statistics that they've lost lost focus on their own values, on their principles, and they've clearly lost focus on, on policy solutions, on substantive reforms, and of unintended consequences. Mm. They're going to be no doubt bemused that they poured all this money in, they have more clinicians, yet productivity continues to go down. And and that's because I think they've been chasing the stats. You know, remember they got rid of Boris Johnson, so they would do better in the polls, and they got Liz Truss. They got rid of Liz Truss to do better in the polls. And they got Rishi Sunak. And what have the polls done in the last week? They've gone down again. And where will a lot of core Tory supporters go now? Well, if you actually look at the comments sections on the national press, in those Tory sort of faithful publications like The Telegraph, The Mail, today's statement is going down really, really badly. And why wouldn't it? There's nothing positive in it. There's nothing pro-growth. There's nothing pro-business. It is doom-laden. It is a caricature of everything that was wrong with Britain, Mm. both under Ted Heath and under Wilson and under Callaghan in the 1970s. I noticed one headline that came up quite soon after Jeremy Hunt sat down. In less than an hour, Jeremy Hunt delivered a death sentence to the aspirations of a generation. Yeah, and that's a headline, I believe, on the Daily Telegraph. It was almost as if in one hour, the Conservative Party pushed through um, four or five years of Jeremy Corbyn. Yeah. Well, Tim... um, I don't know if this is going to cheer us up or not, but I think we've got one more topic you want to discuss. Um, so what's that? Uh, so the last topic is a really interesting essay uh, that appeared uh, a couple of days ago, written by Gordon Brown, the former Labour Prime Minister, where he's talking about the ideological and geopolitical shifts that we're living through. And, and, and one of the things that really struck me is he talks about the rise of nationalism. He argues that most important, over above Ukraine, strain politics in Britain and America, um, China's threat, you know, with Taiwan. If you really go above it all, you're seeing this rise of nationalism and it's replacing uh, neoliberalism um, as the dominant ideology of, of our age. So whereas over the last 30 years, economics drove political decision-making, 
Now politics is determining economic decisions. And often countries are weaponizing trade, they're weaponizing their technological base, industry, competition policies, tariffs. And the old win-win of economics in the 80s, 90s, noughties and beyond, they're being replaced by this sort of zero-sum perception that I win, you lose. And so now we're seeing movements in America like America first, China first in China, India first. We've seen the consequences of Russia first, but it's very much about my tribe first. And what's risky about this, and where I think Gordon Brown is so right, is it taps into what, what, what I think most economists would call the fixed quantity of wealth fallacy. No, if you just concentrate on your tribe and you think that if you win, others lose, but you don't go for the win-win, then you don't grow the pie. And you actually find yourself squabbling over um, you know, a fixed pie and therefore potentially ever-diminishing returns. The trick is always, if you want greater wealth, you have to grow the pie. And it's wealth that delivers better health care, lifts people out of poverty, brings people together, enables yes. nations and regions to thrive. So I re it's a superb essay by Gordon Brown. I admire it. It's called Nationalism is the Ideology of Our Age. No wonder the world is in crisis. And it's an opinion piece by him in The Guardian. And I, I do recommend it because I think it's very, very apt. And I thought we'd got to the stage where, where almost everybody understood, whether an economist or not, that, that you know, having a, a bigger pie benefited absolutely everybody, and that being nationalistic when it came to economics and trade was was a harmful thing. But quite clearly, I mean, many of those lessons that were learned you know, very expensively, particularly back in the twenties and thirties, um, clearly have been forgotten. Well, I think that that for many people. Uh, I think there's there's some blowback here on things like the um, the, uh, the the financial crisis that hit the world so hard in two thousand seven eight. Mm. Um, I think that globalization um, uh, benefited many people and lifted many people out of poverty, but there were some that fell behind and didn't feel they were part of it. Um, so. You know, I think it's a long time in the coming. But what do you have in Europe, within the EU? You have people like Viktor Orban. You have in the NATO community Erdogan in Turkey. Um, you have you know, Miranda Modi in in uh, in um, India, who his politics rests on an awful lot of nationalism. And whilst he did some initially good supply side and market oriented reforms. He does seem to me to be concentrating ever more on the nationalism, less on the economics to shore up his perceived base. So we're living in one of these periods. Um, like you, I hope we had learned the lessons. I, I think that there were probably many people in the 50s and 60s who hoped that we would learn the lessons of positive economic growth, given the atrocities of two world wars. But here we are back again. People are turning inward, and they are increasingly politically putting their tribe first. And that's a very dark trend to follow. Yes, well, you could argue that, that wars have been the result on occasion of attitudes like that. Yeah, and 
Well, I remember, you know, the, the, the Nobel laureate in economics, Friedrich Hayek, said that if you want to understand war and if you want to understand really most of the pages of, um, of the history books, then really understand the trends of inflation. And I think there's a lot of truth in that. If you remember, after the financial crisis, there was a great wave right across much of the developed and developing world of inflation in 2008, 9, and 10. And with COVID, and now with your war in Ukraine, or the consequences for energy, or the consequences for global food supply, there are these huge waves of inflation coming again. And inflation, of course, robs money from people who are prudent and have been thrifty, but it lets people who have high debt somewhat off the hook. And therein lies uh, political polarization and a sense of injustice. Um, so often inflations do lead, they entrench in senses of injustice, and they often lead to conflict. And one of the benchmarks of conflict, one of the markers that conflict is in the air, is insularity and identitarianism and nationalism. Tim, thank you. So where do we see that uh, piece? I think it was in The Guardian, I think, wasn't it? The Gordon it Brown and it was on the 15th of november nationalism is the ideology of our age no wonder the world is in crisis superb piece tim thank you very much indeed i've been talking to tim evans he's professor of business and political economy at middlesex university in london i hope tim will be back with me in a fortnight's time but that's it for the bigger picture for today the bigger picture going behind the headlines of the biggest economic and political stories of the day.